So today I'm, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 115. And if you're new to the Bible, it's going to be near the middle of your Bible. It's going to be after Job and before Proverbs. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then I'll pray, and then we will get going. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, I just pray that you would work through your word today. I thank you that you always work through your word, whether we're reading it or we're hearing it preached. And I just pray that you would, through your spirit, convict us and exhort us and encourage us today, um, that we would be strengthened and that we would give you glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. So there is an outline on the back. And... Um, for any of you who have heard me preach before, I usually have a correction. I'm sorry. Maybe someday I'll finish it before we actually have to make up the bulletin. But only one correction today. Point two is actually trusting God alone. So you can write that in. And that makes our three points this. One, God is greater than the world's idols. Two, trusting God alone. And three is give glory to God alone. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been terrified? This could be from a particular person. This could be from a group of people, maybe a situation. To make it more specific, have you ever been afraid to share your faith? Have you ever been afraid to follow Jesus or to live a godly lifestyle? Have you ever been afraid to speak the things you believe in the presence of people who may push back or may not like what you have to say. This is the context and the question and the emotion that this psalm is going to um, address today. We're going to start in verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1, but verse 1 and verse 18 today are kind of going to bookend this psalm for us. So verse 2, we get the context. Why should the nation say, where is their God? We see that Israel was often in a very similar position. 
In verse 2, the nations are challenging Israel. Where is your God? And this is something we see from God's enemies throughout the Old Testament and the whole Bible. So if you think about when Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, what does Pharaoh say to Moses? He says, where is your God? Or no, he doesn't, sorry. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Goliath in Deuteronomy 1, once they're in the promised land, comes out and he says to Israel, I defy the ranks of Israel. Paul in Acts is thrown in jail and almost killed multiple times by God's enemies, whether that was actually the Jewish leaders or it was Rome. And all of these are examples in the Bible of this question. They're not said the same way, but it's that challenge. It's that, it's that question of where is your God? And this is a challenge that's very real for us today as well. Just like with Israel, these aren't always empty threats either, but often have power behind them. Just like Israel in their situation, there'd usually be an army. (laughs) They're asking that question and then there's an army literally camped on their doorstep. The unbelieving world is always challenging and questioning God this way. Just for some examples in our day today, sometimes it's easiest to see this overseas. So Open Doors, um, it's a nonprofit that deals with persecuted Christians, has a story on there from Vietnam. Two brothers leading a Bible study the other day are arrested, beaten, interrogated, and put in jail. They're let out after a couple days. Immediately brought back in, given no food and water. After some more days, they're let go and told, we're keeping an eye on you. Not only that, all the government aid you were going to have is gone. No health care, <laughs> no assistance for their children, with schooling, no agricultural assistance. Harshit Singh, who we prayed for today, they got kicked out of their building for preaching the gospel in India. Um just for preaching the gospel. And although none of us in America, and I won't say none of us, I know there's people here who have been physically attacked or beaten up for their faith, but most of us are most likely have not been put in jail in our context here in America, in Maine. But we still face the same challenge from the world every day. And we are often fearful of the world. Whether it's fear of what your friends think of you at school for your faith, or what your coworkers think of you for your commitment to Jesus. Whether it's fear of losing your job. Maybe for not celebrating homosexuality. Maybe it's for sharing the gospel at work. Maybe it's fear of being cut off by family members. Maybe it's fear of the government and the different decisions and laws they're putting into place. Maybe it's fear of social powers. And how much power the social opinion, public opinion has to affect what we say is right and wrong. Either way, we all feel this challenge of verse 2. Where is your God? The challenge of the nations pushing back against God and his people. And this is the context of the psalm. And we are going to get a great reminder of what to do in the context of the unbelieving world, who either actively or passively opposes us and our God. And this leads to our first point. When you are afraid, when you are threatened, when the world is pushing back on you, remember that God is greater than the world's idols. We see this in verse 3. So verse 2, the nations are saying, where is your God? And verse 3 is an awesome response. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's a mic drop in and of itself, honestly. (laughs) But I'm supposed to preach, so I'll keep going. 
Um, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And I've been blessed. God is, God's awesome the way he gives you things and allows you to see things in scripture. And there's been two experiences for me that really have kind of like allowed me to see this. Um, one was going to the Terratine the other night. Graham told me about that place. Um, but it's an awesome restaurant in Bangor. And the cool thing about it is that they have a um, rooftop place where you can sit. And I've never been up there before. And you can see over all of Bangor. And I've lived here my whole life pretty much, but I've never seen that view of Bangor. And it just struck me, this is closer to how God sees Bangor than I do. When I'm down on the street, people seem huge. Buildings seem huge. Up there, it all seems so small. Same thing with climbing a mountain. I got to climb a mountain the other day. Same experience. If you've ever been on a plane, you look down, right? You can't even see the people. The cars are small. The buildings are small. And you're like, whoa, this is a different perspective. And this is the perspective of our God. This is the perspective of God seeing the earth. He sees us all. He doesn't have problems seeing us from the heights. But we are so small compared to him. This is our heavenly God. This is our great God. Again, our God is greater than the world's idols. When we think about God as a heavenly being, there's two passages that stick out. I want to read Daniel 10, 5 through 9. Um, we read this in uh, the men's Bible study. And this is either a picture of an angel or the incarnate Christ. People disagree. Either way, it works. Because if it's an angel, God's even greater than this. If it's Christ, awesome. Daniel 10, 5 through 9. This is our heavenly God. I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. That is our God. Revelations 1, 12 through 16, which Dara read earlier, shows us the same picture of our heavenly God. I'm just going to read it again because it's awesome. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So this, this heavenly God, when the nations are saying, where is your God? Our heavenly God can't even fully be described in human terms. We're going to compare this to what the idols are like in a second. So the best we can do is we can say, okay, his voice is like a multitude of voices. His voice is like the sound of many waters. The best we can say of his face is like it's the sun shining in all of its, its glory, which we know we can't even look at. We know the sun's not as bright as God. Like we know God is bigger than that. This is the picture of our God, and this is the picture that Israel would have focused on. Oh, we're threatened. There's literally an army there. Our God is in the heavens. Let's compare this to the idols. You look at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. And so that we see while God is a heavenly God, our idols are so earthly. They're made of silver and gold. And silver and gold is nice. I mean... We'd all take silver and gold, but it's just earthly stuff. And you know what else had a lot, a lot of silver and gold? The temple. So First Chronicles twenty two fourteen, 
It's estimated there's about 7.5 million pounds of gold in the temple. Yeah, crazy, right? 75 million pounds of silver. That couldn't contain God. The only reason the temple could contain God is because God chose to let that contain him. And so you get this picture of this heavenly God versus this earthly God. One is made of heavenly stuff. One is big, great. One is earthly. We'll look at the second half of verse four. Not only, second half of verse three, not only is our God in the heavens, but he does all that he pleases. And that's really the big difference between me riding in a plane. I can see things, but I can't do anything about it. God not only sees, but he does whatever he pleases. He's the creator versus the created. I'll read verses five through seven. This is what it says. Well, I'll just summarize it. This is what it says. We just read it. It talks about the idols of the nations. They have mouths, they have hands, they have ears, they have noses, they have feet. But they can't do anything. Verse 4, they're the work of human hands. They're created. God is the creator. And then we see the can versus cannot. Our God does all that he pleases. And like I just said, the idols can't do anything. And even though the ESV says their mouths, they have mouths but do not speak, says do not, do not, do not. I like the CSB, which says they cannot. So it's not that they can and they're not choosing to. It's that they literally cannot help you. So if we look at verse 4, God created the whole universe with his voice. He created you. He created me. He created everything we see. He created the universe that is still expanding somehow. He created that with his voice. Idols can't even speak. The nation's idols can't even speak. We see the same thing. It says they see, they have eyes, but they can't see talked about how God sees everything. God even sees into our hearts. We look at verse 6. They have ears but do not hear. In verses 14 and 15 of this, of this psalm, Israel's crying out to the Lord. That's because he hears. He hears his saints. He hears his people. Idols cannot hear. Nose. The nose is probably connected to sacrifices. So remember that Israel would offer sacrifices to God. And the way the Bible would explain it so that we can understand it is, oh, God was pleased by the aroma. And the the idea here is probably that you can do whatever you want with your rituals for your idols, nations, but your idols aren't actually paying attention. They don't know what you're doing. We go to hands and feet. This is probably action. Your idols, the idols aren't actually helping them in war. There's no power in an idol to help them in war. They aren't providing for them. They can't take care of them. We'll look at God in verses 9 to 13 of our psalm, and he's their help in their shield. He is blessing them. He is remembering them. And then finally, the last comparison is they do not make a sound in their throat. They cannot make a sound in their throat. And that probably has to do with referring to instruction and wisdom. So their idols aren't able to give them instruction. They're not able to give them wisdom. God wrote us a whole book of instruction and wisdom and guidance. And so what this should make us realize and what this should have reminded Israel is, remember the actual power of those who you fear. Whether that's a a particular person, whether that is a group of people, whether that's an institution, whether that is a political party, whatever it may be, they may seem powerful, but the idols they worship don't actually have any power. And again, that's not to say that our enemies don't have real power. They do. In some cases, God has allowed his enemies to have immense power. 
for a time. But they're still not more powerful than God. And God can take their power away at any time. And so we learn, don't fear man, fear God. In a second, we're going to learn, don't trust a man, trust God. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you have purposely, actively said, nope, I will not trust in Jesus. Maybe you're just more passive than that. And you're like, ah, I don't know. It doesn't seem that important. You must realize that there is more to fear than other people. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus tells us, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He's talking about humans. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a bigger thing to fear. There's bigger trouble than the nations, than other people. So if you're in here and you have not put your faith in Christ, you must realize that that heavenly God who does whatever he pleases is against you. You are his enemy. We were all once his enemies because of our sin. But God is loving. He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And you need to trust in him. So if you're here, don't fear people, fear God. God is the one who can put you in hell, who can punish you for eternity in his righteousness. People can't do that. Turn and trust in Jesus. And if you want to know more about that, you can talk to me, um, Scott Pinkham, who you've seen up here today, one of our elders, or you can talk to the person who brought you. And this leads to our next point. Point number two, trust in God alone. This will mostly come from verses 8 through 15. So the first thing we see in verse 9 is, in this psalm, is reminding Israel to trust in the Lord. And it's not a mistake that it's right after the idols. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now, it's probably repeated because psalms were songs. I think it's also probably repeated for emphasis. It's talking to basically the same group. Israel would probably be all of Israel. Aaron would represent the priests. And then at this time period, you who fear the Lord would probably just include everybody again. But what we learn from this is that if you are trusting in Jesus, you are one of God's people, and he is your help and your shield. And what's awesome is, even though God is a heavenly God, He is not far away. And this is one of the lies the world will put out there. People will say, okay, yeah, sure, there's a God. Yeah, maybe he even created everything. But now he's just kind of stepped back. Why would he care about us? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. He's a heavenly, powerful God, but that does not mean he's far away. When you cry for help, he is there. He is as close to you as a shield is to a soldier. Right there, protecting you from sin, Satan, and the world. He is our help and our shield. And what's cool is the sovereign heavenly God is pleased to be your help and your shield. God does whatever he pleases. No one's forcing him to love you. He's choosing to love you. He wants to love you. There's this quote by John Piper where he basically says, as you walk through life, you are invincible until God decides that your time has come. And what he's saying with that is, since God is the one with all the power, even when he chooses to give it to nations, You cannot be killed until it's your time for God to take you to heaven. There's nothing nobody can, nothing anyone can do to you. And that's just such a beautiful picture of this and why we need to trust in God alone. We also see here that 
who you trust in is really a life and death decision. There's a lot of decisions out there that are not life and death. There's a lot of them. Where do you go to get coffee, right? All this type of stuff. This is a life or death decision. We see this in verse 8. Listen to the fate of those who trust in idols and those who make them. Verse 8. Those who make them, idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. So we see that idols actually steal life. And when it says that those who trust in idols become like them, I think it can be kind of be summed up in these two words. Those who trust in idols become both lifeless and helpless. And so we look at idols, they're lifeless. Now, in this psalm and in this situation and context that Israel probably would have written this psalm in, somebody in Israel, this would have meant physically. So there's, there's literally another army there. And if you're not going to trust in God and God's not going to save you, you will be dead. <laughs> there's a really good chance of that. And so when you become lifeless by trusting in other idols, that could literally mean physically. Now for us, it probably applies better in a spiritual sense. When we think about an idol, an idol has never been alive. It's not that it died. It's that it's never actually had life. And us too spiritually are like that. We're born sinners. And so we've never had spiritual life until we trust in Christ. And so just like the idols we worshiped before Jesus, we were lifeless. We had no spiritual life. And again, if you have never trusted in Jesus, that is your position too. Jesus is the only one who can bring us life. But not only are the idols lifeless, they're also helpless. We heard about all the things they cannot do. They can't do anything. And so when we trust in idols, whether we're a Christian and we've just, we're trusting in certain idols for certain particular situations, or we're a non-Christian and we trust in idols as our whole hope, we can't deal with the troubles of this life. So just like that army gets destroyed because God's against it, the troubles of this life, our anxiety, our depression, our loss of loved ones, our tragedy, those who trust in idols, and when we choose to trust in idols, there's no way to find any real comfort or victory. Even more importantly, our idols can't save us from God. And this is what the nations found out. When Israel trusted in God, there could be 10 Israelites and a million of the other soldiers from the nations, and God just throws them into confusion or stops the sun or does this, they're helpless. They have no power. And more importantly, that applies to us, God's wrath against sin. Idols cannot save us from that. And that is our biggest issue. That's the biggest thing we need to be saved from. So we have to remember, especially as a non-believer who has never trusted in Jesus, if your idols can't save you from people, how will they save you from God? How will they save you from the God of the heavens who does whatever he pleases? If you're a Christian, you have trusted in Jesus, that's your position. But we know that as we go through life and we're afraid and we're terrified and we feel threatened, we put our trust in all these types of other things. Those things can't save you. They can't actually help you. We have to realize that. Turn to God, who can save you both from the more minute troubles of this life and from himself. We, we uh, oppose this to God in verses 12 and 13. God gives us life. Verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. In this context, 
This was probably written after a victory, a victory in battle by Israel. They're praising the Lord. They're glorifying the Lord. The Lord remembered them. He showed up. He beat the nations. For us, we have an even more better and ultimate victory. He sent Jesus Christ to die so that we have victory over sin and death and Satan. He has remembered us. He has not forgotten us in our sinful state. He has not forgotten us on the earth. And then we see in verse 13, he will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. And he too has blessed us. This isn't the prosperity gospel. You don't get to be rich and wealthy and healthy. Blessing in the Old Testament usually more refers to God's presence. You're no longer his enemy, trusting in Christ. He's now your father. You're helping your shield. He's now protecting you. He is now guiding you. And if after point one, maybe it was hard to connect with, with the fear of other people or fear of groups of people. Or maybe you're like, I don't really struggle much with the fear of these things. Now is the time to ask yourself, as we look for the next, next part, is this because I'm trusting in a powerful God? Or is it because I'm trusting in some other thing? So what are some different idols that we trust in, in these situations, when we're feeling threatened, when we're scared? One of the main ones is in verse one, not to us, O Lord, not to us. We like to trust in ourselves. And we must realize we are spring loaded to trust ourselves. This is what you will naturally do. You will trust yourself. We see this in Israel. So when Israel got cocky, they'd won some battles and they're like, oh, we got this, right? (laughs) Happened a lot. They would even go against God and attack nations and they would be slaughtered. Because they trusted in themselves. In the same way, we do this all the time. Some other things we trust in. The nation's idols. There's things that are very similar to the nation's idols nowadays. Maybe it's politics. You trust in a particular party, particular leader. Maybe it is uh, power in general. Maybe it's different tribes. Maybe it's different institutions that you trust in. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's your friends, your family, your spouse that you trust in. Maybe you trust in escape. When things get hard, when you're threatened, when you're fearful, you just escape. You jump on Netflix for the next five hours. Maybe it even goes as far as, and I've felt this temptation, you just kind of stay in your Christian bubble. You kind of stay around people who believe what you believe, and you kind of move out to the country maybe. Not that moving out to the country is bad. But if, if your motive is to move out to the country to hide, that is probably bad. Um, so these are some different idols that we tend to trust in. And what this psalm tells us is, when seen in reality, these idols actually leave us more exposed, more helpless, more useless than before, just like the idols themselves are. And although idols have no power to help us, ironically, they have lots of power to destroy us. Some questions we can ask to diagnose what idols we turn to, just three. What do you spend the most time doing when you're anxious and fearful? This is probably an idol. If it's not the Lord, it's probably an idol that you use to cope. What do you remind yourself to comfort yourself in times of stress and anxiety? These are the truths or the ideologies that you rely on. Is it God's greatness and steadfast love and faithfulness for you or is it something else? 
And finally, how often do you find yourself asking God for help throughout your week? If never, you're probably trusting in yourself. And so we see that this psalm is turning the question in verse 2 back upon the nations. The nations are saying, where is their God? And this psalm is saying, why should the nations say that? You're asking, where is Israel's God? You're asking, where is the one true God? But maybe you should start asking about your idols. Maybe you should start asking, what power do your idols actually have? Because they seem to be quite lacking as we look at them in this psalm. So every time the Israelites sang or read this psalm, they would be reminded of the might and the glory and the majesty of their God compared to false idols. Whenever they were challenged with the question from the idols, where is your God? Whether that was from outside sources, whether that was from their own hearts, the psalm should have shocked them back to reality. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Whenever they were tempted to worship or be fearful of other gods, they should sing this psalm and be reminded of the truth. God does whatever he pleases. No one can stay his hand. God has given us steadfast love. He has given us protection, blessing, relationship, and salvation. The idols offer you none of these things. Only fleeting pleasures, perceived control, and false assumptions of comfort and power. Which brings us to our third point. Give glory to God alone. And so we see this in the bookend of our psalm today. Verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Verse 18, But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And so we see that even though we've already seen a lot of things that should lead to our glorifying the Lord, the only explicitly th- thing that is said explicitly here is that we should give glory to God because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. So the definition of steadfast is unwavering. The definition of faithful is constant. And this is exactly how God has treated us and it's exactly how he treats his people. This unwavering love and constant faithfulness to his chosen people is why he sent his son Jesus to save not only Israel, but the nations, the very nations that were against him, which most of us, maybe all of us in here would have, would be a part of. He has sent his son to save us. God has steadfast love and faithfulness for everyone who believes in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. This is the reason God fought Israel's battles. This is the reason for all the things we have as followers of Jesus. We can claim God as our help and our shield. We know that God has remembered us. We know that God blesses us with his presence and protects and provides for us because he is steadfast in his love and he is faithful. If you take that away from God, we cannot count on any of these things. Not only that, his steadfast love and faithfulness remains on us even as we reject him, even as we sin against him time after time after time. Israel chases after idols time and time again. Today we do the same thing. Yet God has remained faithful to love and forgive us. And what we see in verse 17 is that if it wasn't for God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we actually couldn't even praise the Lord at all. For Israel, this could have been because they were dead. They were actually physically dead. No longer would they praise the Lord on earth. 
For us, we would have been spiritually dead. We would have given no glory to God because we would only give glory to ourselves and our idols. Which leads us to the two, the two things we shouldn't give glory to. Don't give glory to idols and don't give glory to yourself. We've already seen that idols and us were unworthy to be worshipped. God is heavenly, we are earthly. God is the creator, we are created. We've also seen that the idols and us are not able to save. God can do whatever he pleases, the idols cannot. But they also shouldn't be worshipped because they have no steadfast love. Idols nor us love steadfastly like God. And Jonah 2.8 talks about this. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So those who trust in idols and give praise to idols, whether that's yourself or something outside of yourself, forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that's because idols don't love you steadfastly. I think it's pretty clear to us that material possessions can't love us, right? Our money doesn't love us. Our houses don't love us. But I think it's a little bit trickier sometimes with other people. But we have to realize that even other people, even ourselves, we can only love up to a point. There's always something you can do to break someone's love for you. Now, praise God, we have the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we get to practice loving each other steadfastly, right? In our marriages, just in the body. But humans cannot love you steadfastly, nor can you love yourself steadfastly. Don't give glory to idols or to yourself because you're not full of steadfast love and faithfulness like God is. And we just must remember, again, just like we naturally will rely on ourselves, we will naturally give glory to ourselves as well. So we do need to be careful and look at different situations in our life and actually diagnose, am I giving glory to myself here? The practical application of this whole passage, this is a psalm. So it was written to be sung, to be devotional, particularly when fearful of the world and the nations and of other people that are pushing back against our faith, whether it's as small as maybe laughing at us or if it's as big as being thrown in jail or killed. So next time you're fearful, open up this psalm and read it and sing it. You have to make up your own melody, though. Sorry. And hopefully these, these main points can be a helpful way to remember it too. So the next time you fear, fear, feel fearful, remember that God is greater than the world's idols. Choose to put your trust in God alone and give the glory to God alone, both in the midst of your struggle and your fear and when he brings you victory over it. And then finally, in conclusion, we must remember this as well. What slash who we trust in determines who we give glory to. And what I mean is this. If in the process of our daily lives, we have only relied on ourselves and our idols, that is who we have truly given glory to. We can say all the right things after. I can live a whole day of my life relying on myself and then I can say, God gave me the strength. Praise God I was able to do this. But if I didn't rely on him, if we don't rely on him in the process, those are actually only empty Christian cliches. It's like we're trying to give God the leftover crumbs of our glory that we gave to ourselves or gave to our idols. 
we cannot disconnect who we trust in from who we give glory to. We must keep this in mind as we live our Christian lives, whether it's sharing the gospel or loving our neighbor or obeying God's commands or remaining faithful in the presence of persecution. If you rely on idols or yourself to get you through, they are the ones receiving the glory no matter what you then go and say with your mouth. And God's aware of that. He sees our hearts. Our God is greater than any other existing thing. Trust in him alone, and by doing so, give glory to him alone. And then open your mouth and praise him, adding your words, your emotions, your affections to your actions. And like the end of our psalm says, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God that is so powerful and so big and so beyond our understanding, and yet you love us, and yet you care about us, and yet you hear each and every single one of us. That you've been steadfastly faithful and loving to us to send Jesus and to continue to be with us, particularly through your Holy Spirit that you've put in each one of us as we live on this earth. Lord, and I just pray that as we are fearful, as we are threatened, as we struggle to stand up for you and to fear you and not fear man, as we struggle to share the gospel because we can be afraid, I pray that you would help us to trust in you, and I pray that you would receive the glory for what we do. And in Jesus' name, amen.